Would you open your Bibles again this morning to John chapter 10, and while you're at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We've already looked at these two verses. I just want to do a quick review so we can get into what I want to say today. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. And the contrast is obvious. What the Lord brings to us is an abundant life. He offers it to us, makes a way for you to have that. A way to escape what the devil brings, to kill and steal and destroy, to make miserable, to make wretched your life, to destroy your hopes and dreams and dread your tomorrows. That's what the devil does. You read about it every day in the paper. Sadly, Christians talk about it all the time. They glorify the devil far too much by discussing what he does, how he does it, the methods he employs, and the woes that you see. And and then they have fear because they talk about it. I hope it doesn't happen to me. Oh, what would I do? That's what the devil does. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life Abundant. Now, not many Christians believe that. Most of them can quote that. And probably all church members have heard that, but not very many believe that. Not many do believe that you can have life, you can have peace, you can have joy, you can have good success, that God will more than supply your needs because the word abundantly means more than enough. It means super abundance. And yet to talk like that makes you suspicious in the eyes of church people. But it doesn't matter. We're not here to try to outperform anybody, but just to make clear what God said in his word. The devil comes to destroy, to kill, and to make miserable your life. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, concerning 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, the other place, in this life, when you're being confronted by the enemy, And the things the devil does, you're going to be tested or tempted. There hath no temptation taken you, he says in verse 13, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond that which you are able. But will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you can bear it. Now that's a promise, a wonderful promise. Because as I mentioned last time, God will see to it that all of his people are tested. It's easy to say, I believe. Anybody can say that. But the proof of the reality of whether or not that's in your heart will be found when it's tested. When you are confronted with something less than what you like. When you're in a strained situation or difficulty, or physical something, or financial crisis. And then at that point comes the title of our message, Bearing Up and Overcoming. Either you will bear up and overcome, or you will be overcome. We're not here to talk about specifically overcoming, but all Christians are called to overcome. God does not say it's okay if you don't. 
He that overcometh, Revelation says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. He that overcometh. And that doesn't leave much room for the opposite of that. Because so many people dismiss their need to overcome. We see so little of overcoming in the church. We fall prey to so many things. We fight and we fuss and we blow and we point fingers and we yap and holler and, and cry and break relationships and have resentments. and We do that all the time, even though since you were a child, you were taught you shouldn't. And every time you cave into that, you're being overcome by your will. You're willing to be overcome because we put our feelings above the word of God. And we see so many people who are overcome like that, that we assume that, well, nobody's perfect. That's the excuse that a lot of people make for their dismal Christian lives. Well, nobody's perfect. I mean, who can always do what is right? And yet Jesus said to a woman once, he said to her, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So many people just don't get it. Too often church is a sinner-friendly place where we just go and try to love and be good and kind and, and hope some sweet refrains of music will refresh us and a sermon will invigorate us and we'll just go out and be better citizens. And yet every time you go out there, you're confronted with the God of this world. The Bible says the world lies in darkness and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the one spoken of in John 10. The one from a very early age tries to make you sad and despondent, make you give up and quit. And then when you start giving up and quit and get despondent, then you become critical about others that are doing well, who are working hard, who are trying. And then you get that bitterness in your heart and in your soul. And you have no testimony. You may go to church, but you have no testimony. There's no joy, there's no zeal in your life because you're being overcome. You are not overcoming. Paul writes, he said, there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Your heavenly father drew you out of the miry clay. You were a dud, a zero, a failure. And he brings you out of that miry clay and he sets you in his presence. He has a program for you, and you all know this. He's not going to leave you like you are, is he? God's program for you is to change you unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal that Jesus has for you is for you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right ways, which is overcoming, and all these things of the abundant life shall be added to you. But you have to confront your enemy. You have to confront the reality of life, that things don't always go well, that every day is not a chipper day, that you don't always have it your way every day. And you must confront that armed with truth about what God has said and deal with it from God's side. You must count it... Uh, is that still in the Bible? You must, in James 1, 2, you must count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials, knowing this. 
And then you go from there. He said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice. Can you imagine? You're in a difficult time in your life, and God says, Now, in this circumstance, which usually is divinely arranged just for you, rejoice. This is your opportunity. This confrontation with a irate somebody, this whatever you're going through, is an opportunity to overcome. To arm yourself, robe yourself with the right ways of God and deal with it. To put a watch before your mouth and guard the door of your lips so that you don't sin against God with your mouth. To demonstrate that all this time you've spent in church has developed in you a constitution which says, I will overcome, I will not be overcome. I refuse to give in to how I'm feeling. I will, instead of that, I will say and do what God wants. And you see it so seldom. Yet we've heard it all of our lives. It's all of our saved lives. We've heard that. He said three things in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that you can count on. Paul said that he will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able. That God is in control. Of what you're going through right now, today, God is in control of it. And the second thing he says, he will provide for you or make for you a way of escape. I think the way of escape doesn't mean a way out because he thirdly says so that you can bear it. So there is a need here to bear up and overcome. And the way he provides for you to do that is probably through his word, illumined by his spirit, And so often it has to do with praying in the Spirit. What a wonderful thing to have. To be able to pray in the Spirit. The world can't do that. Many unbelieving church members can't do that, but a few can. And it's so seldom used. How many of you know that praying in the Spirit is how you build up yourselves on your most holy faith? And yet Christians constantly say and excuse themselves from a faithful life of saying, well, I don't think everybody has that kind of faith. You can build yourself up onto what you've got. Your faith is designed to grow exceedingly. And yet, having heard it, we still just don't get it. Now, Romans 12. Would you go back there? We briefed it last week. We need to look at it a little tighter this week, just a little bit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Paul writes, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Avenge means to retaliate. Get even. Avenge has to do with you executing justice. I'll get him back. I'll get her back. She'll be sorry she said that. Oh, yeah. I've got some designs that she'll wish she had never seen or he had never seen. This is what he's talking about. and We do it all the time anyway. 
Avenge not yourself. Do not get even. And then he goes on to say in that 19th verse, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't say you got what you deserve, feed him. If he be thirsty, give him something to drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And then be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 17, verse 19, and verse 21, every other verse describes an action that God expects us to take, which would be defined as a right way or righteousness. And in every case, it has to do with you displaying to your enemy, to your feelings, to a situation, a circumstance, just the very opposite of what the world does. You're living in a haughty, arrogant time. Children are being trained to be haughty and arrogant and in your face. It's the look. It's the hat on backwards, the scowl on the face, the sleeves rolled up, the tattoos. Not always the tattoos, but that seems with a lot of mentality to go with it. In your face. Look at the toys today. Toys are all about destroying things, muscle things, muscle things that grab space things and throw space things into walls and bad things. Look at the movies today. Look at how much destruction and violence. These movies aren't designed for Tom Hamilton. The whole mess of them would go broke if they did that for me. Because I wouldn't give you 50 cents for every one of them all together on their best day, sun shining, car starting, and no light on on the dash. You can have them all. But somebody wants that who does. Kids. Look in school. One out of four kids are bullied in school because somebody wants to be tough. Somebody wants to be bad. Childhood is being removed from children today, and they're being taught to be little monsters, I mean little men, ganging up, mouthy, in your face. And you watch some of the cartoons. I don't know the name of them. I don't watch that stuff either. The brief I've seen as an advertiser, just mouthy. Everything is a put down, a slander, a slur, something vulgar, something ornery, some innuendo. And consequently, you bring a kid into a church if he's not grown up in a church, and you hear some of these things about being humble and meek and not avenging yourself, not fighting back. I think there's one in the Bible about turning your cheek. If somebody slaps you on one side of your face, let them slap the other side. And their mouths fly open when they hear that. Well, I wouldn't let somebody do that to me. And then we have names for people we don't like, like Jack. Tell you one thing, Jack, Bud or whatever people are called. I don't know. I haven't really kept up with it in 40 years. But this is an hour and a time in which everything is vulgar and ornery and tough and violent. If you bring these violent toys into your family, do you know there is a little spirit that goes with this stuff? And these little video games that your kids cannot get away from? 
Did you know that they would have as hard a time giving that up as you would TV? They're hooked. And see if they can, got that sucker, oh man, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. It's being brought into our homes, into our lives, and in our families. And there is something wrong with what's happening today with especially young folks. Now, we got a chance to get a whole lot of them, a good citizens for the kingdom, and not falling prey to this. But I'm telling you, there's so many people out there your kids want to run around with, it's not good for them to run around with. Because they'll introduce them to this stuff and they'll get hooked. There's a spirit. There's only one spirit in the Bible that says he comes to kill and to steal and destroy. The Bible plainly says you can give place to that spirit. In Ephesians 4.27, you can give place to it. You may be innocent and ignorant, but it doesn't matter. The devil doesn't say, oh, no, you have to know what you're doing for me to come in. No, he is subtle. He's deceptive. He lures through deceit and deception to bring you in so he can hook you and get his grips on you and have place in your life and make you sass your parents and make you want to pout and throw fists. That's of the devil too. Every fit that has ever been thrown, all fits that have ever been thrown were masterminded by the devil at early ages in children. How did he get in there? In Romans 12, he says, you don't avenge yourself. You may want to, you may feel like it, but you don't do it. You recompense evil to no man. Somebody hurt you. Somebody stole from you. Somebody said something about you. Somebody kind of put you down. And you were offended. There is something about you that is offended. Oh, no, I go to church. I'm okay. No, I don't care where you go or what you believe or who your parents are. That doesn't mean you can't be offended and that you're not vulnerable. We all are. That's what the armor of God is for. So we can defend ourselves. And having done all, sometimes all you can do is stand. Sometimes we are going to be tossed like Peter, tossed to and fro. The devil knows like he did with Job. He knows that he has a chance at everybody in here. And God is telling you, most of us for the last 30 or 40 years, overcome. You don't have to fall prey to that. You don't have to give in to that. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to go down. You, it doesn't have to be like you read in the paper. You can overcome him because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you've got to release it. You've got to overcome. That mouthy person who is is an opportunity for you to just be still. Oh, you'll think I'm a sissy. He probably will. He might even shove you. I was a kid one time. I know how those feelings haunt you. What would I do if somebody shoved me? What would I do? Would I hit him in the mouth? What, What would I do? Well, now that I'm a little older... And survived. And see it differently now. I can tell you. You gain nothing except the possibility of more retaliation. And then something worse. Nobody won. Nobody won. In verse 21 he says. Be not overcome of evil. But overcome evil with good. But they're cussing me. Listen to this one. 
Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 12, being reviled, we bless. <laughs> being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer for it. You mean we don't fight back? No. You mean we don't? No. If you're a Christian, you don't. Now, if you have the pretense of a Christian, or you go to a Christian group and you've had a Christian experience, the same Christian song, blah, 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 but you're mostly like you always were, then yeah, you will. But if you're a Christian, you won't. Well, you say Christians don't ever fail. Of course we stumble occasionally. We're not supposed to. But we'll quickly pick up and repent and get back on target and be sad that we did anything that we shouldn't do. And if we feel good about getting in somebody's face, what if somebody came up to me and he said, Oh, Brother Hamilton, I don't like your preaching style. Sometimes you preach too long and you jump around too much. Now, would that be generally construed as offensive? Depends on the person, but generally in the public view, uh, yeah. So what's your reaction? Well, one of them would be, well, it really doesn't matter to me what you think. <laughs> if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Is that Christian? Was that a good Christian response? Then why did I act like that? Then why was I overcome with evil? Because I was. I've been criticized by experts. I mean, graduates of the best schools in the country, summa cum laude, robed, hatted, medaled. I mean, I've, I have been rightly so. A lot of, a lot of rightly criticized. I have been rude in a lot of things. I have through the years. I know that. I grew up like that, and it's been a process of overcoming. But somebody came up and said, "You know, you preach too long. You jump around." But I'd say this: You're probably, uh, you're probably right. I probably do. And I hope you can bear with me. While on the inside, something is raging. I'm going to say, well, who are you? Sometimes we just don't like to be corrected. Sometimes we just don't like for somebody to correct us. What if I said to Brother Lanham, now he won't mind this. I've never picked on him because he don't sit up here. What if I said to him, Brother Lanham, you didn't cover that verse long enough the other night. You should have said more about that. I would if, if I'd been preaching. Ooh. Now, he has one of two chances here. He can either overcome and say, well, you know, I never thought of that. I'll look into that and thank you for the help. While somebody else stand by and said, well, if somebody talks to me like that, I'll tell him, well, we'll get somebody else to preach next time, but I ain't who does he think he is telling me I didn't explain something? Was he an expert or something? Do we do that? We do it all the time. Because it's cute. We like to entertain our friends by acting tough. And all the time we're being overcome with evil. And the devil is just chalking up one more opportunity for him to invade our lives just a little bit more. Because we're giving more place to him. I lived next door to a lady once. There was something I used to do a lot, and I enjoyed it. And what I was doing was messing up her dog, shooting a gun. And she just 
clamored about that. And I remember thinking, well, I mean, thinking, just thinking. Well, pray that your dog don't get over in my yard because we won't have a problem with your dog anymore. <laughs> See, that's just a thought. Only a thought. So what I did was I just basically quit doing what I was doing. Because I didn't want to offend her. And then I heard this little thing from a neighbor that she was telling him, you ain't heard them guns going off lately, have you? I told him how I felt about it, and that shut it down. Now, see, this thing rise up and say, you know what, woman? You ain't heard nothing like you're going to hear for the next month. You're going to think there's a bazooka over there. Now, listen to me. It is an opportunity, though it's painful, to have to honor somebody that is going to think they're whooping you to give into that so you don't offend somebody. I just don't want to offend you. And I'm not going to avenge myself on you. I'm not going to go around yakking about it. And when I see you, I'm going to stop and talk to you. How you doing, Miss So-and-so? How's everything going? I'm not going to sit there and say, I hope you're happy. You need to take your dog to a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> I didn't do that. You know what? As God knows my heart, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, but I really didn't want to offend her. Not that I liked what was going on. I just didn't want to offend her. Who I am in the eyes of God and how I represent him to the world is far more important to me than the pleasures I have in my hobbies. What would you give? I probably would. Not because I really want to, but because if this is a test, if this is one of those confrontations in my life that whew, I've got to deal with, so be it. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Would it be good to make your neighbor happy, you don't want to, but it's the best thing to do. Sometimes you'd really have an honest statement. If I said to my buddy Thomas here, I said, Thomas, your jeans are way too tight. Man, won't you get something? You look as bad as some of these girls. What if he said, who made you a judge of me? Now, what if I was right? Let's say I'm right. Now, the ball's in his court, isn't it? I told him the truth. Or I said to a girl, your dress is way too short. It's too short by the fact that when you sit down, you can't pull it down anymore. You can't tuck it in tighter because you know it's too short. Now, if I said your dress is too short, let's say it was. Am I telling the truth? Now, what if the person who was told that kind of gets, well, I'll go somewhere else next time. I wouldn't say, well, Go. I would just say, I didn't say that for you to do that. Being a Christian and really desiring holiness without which no man shall see God, I'm trying to do what I think is right for you to tell you that you need to do something about it. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or not trying to embarrass you. I have to give an account for people's lives. If I neglect to tell you the whole truth and I'm hiding something from you that might be necessary for you to make it you got to say things. 
I've had people say to me a lot, oh, you preach hard. No, I don't. I simply say what the book says. What's hard is the fact that we're conditioning ourselves to be like the world. We've been told a thousand times in at least 500 different ways. Don't fashion yourself according to the world. But instead of that, be transformed, be changed into another form and let God change you. Get rid of one and put on the other. You can't have it both. You're either this way or you're this way. If you're this way, then you're this way all the way. If you're not this way, you'll talk that way, but you'll go that way, if you can figure all that out. We're all in the same boat here. The Word of God is plain and the same to each one of us. He doesn't say anything harder, different, or anything to anybody. It's one word that we're hearing. We all have a conscience. We all have a mind. We all think. We're all thinking right now, well, we're having discussions in our minds. You might be saying, you know, that is right. You're not doing well. Or something in your mind might be saying, well, what kind of a kick is he on this morning? One, you're overcoming. One, you're not. And we allow ourselves to not overcome. We allow ourselves to be overcome with evil. And we excuse ourselves from doing that because who else isn't? Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. And look at verse 9. Peter wrote this real clear. Verse 9. After he says, be compassionate and be courteous and be kind and, and be loving and gentle with each other, which is hard to do today, but be that way anyway. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. That's clear. I want to live my life with goodness. Don't you? Listen to it again. For he that will love life and see good days. Don't you want that? This is what he says to do. It goes on in verse 11, let him avoid or eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Stay away from places where there might be a confrontation and somebody where there's a lot of yapping testosterone. You don't need that. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, whether they're church members or not. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Who's going to rob, cheat, maim, destroy, and steal? Who's going to do those things to you, God said, if you do what I want you to do? You're afraid somebody's going to pick on you, pick on your kid? Because somebody smacked your kid at school, and you're saying if he smacks you again, smack him back, you're overcome. That's not what we do. That's not the way we approach life. That is not how we do it. 
Who is he, verse 13, who will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear or reverence having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good manner of life in Christ. For it is better, if it's the will of God, that you should suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. That is so clear. And yet, let me say this. It is my opinion in looking at the mass of Christendom that I have seen for 40 years, that this is largely ignored. Largely ignored. We get involved in arguments, politics. How many churches get involved in politics? I'm for this one, you're for that one. Why would you want to be for that one? He's a no good. Well, you're, and the next thing you know, you get into name calling. Then you get in the name calling, you get into the thing that separates churches, and that's what all these political stuff does, political stuff. It just brings division, Democrats versus Republicans, us and versus them, and you all, and you liberals and conservatives. <laughs> makes a great atmosphere to preach in. Politics is not the business of the church. Rulers of a nation is not the business of the church. That's not what we're here on this earth to do. We pray for those, whoever gets in. Because we know that God will put into office whomsoever he pleases because he, as a sovereign God, is in total control of the affairs of man. Therefore, whoever he puts there, we'll pray for. I may not agree with things I hear, but my call in life, and I've been guilty of breaking this, my call in life is not to be a political thinker, but a spiritual thinker. And if they're raising taxes and doing this and doing that and gas goes up because of a little bunch of men forecasting the future gas prices, if they'll do that and they allow that, you know what? I'm just going to put gas in my tank as I'm able to and keep on going and let God take care of them because vengeance belongs to God. If we're being robbed and cheated in this life and evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse like the Bible said, I will let God take care of them. It is not my place to be mouthy against them. Amen. Because it's so easy. It's so easy. And churches get all involved in the elections I don't know where this is going out there, but all of you are wrong that are doing that. Because that's not what our call of the church is. We're here to make disciples. Disciples are gentle, kind, meek, courteous, all of that. Not thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. We're not Boy Scouts. But we're all the things that we learn in the kingdom of God. Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom? Or what do we find out? The kingdom is the king's realm. The nature of the king has been put inside of us. 
Is there not a divine nature in Christians? Did he not send his Holy Spirit to exploit that so that it comes out? So that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Didn't Jesus say the Spirit of God will take the things of mine and show it to you? He does that in your crisis. While you're calling the IRS a bunch of thieves, that's all mastered by the devil. You just pay it and go. They do this to you, you just bow your head and go. You just turn your cheek and go. You shut your mouth and go. Being railed against, we don't rail back. And yet we don't know a handful of people in any church that doesn't. I think, what is wrong? What's happened to us? What has happened? Look at church battles. How many church battles have we had in the church? Somebody wasn't recognized and got his jaws tight and is mad. And then he starts being critical of who was elected or selected or before you. Oh, why is that lady always saying this? Or why is that man always doing that? Or we go to other churches and we find fault with the way they do things because that's not how we do it. And we're obviously much more advanced than you are. That's happened so much in my lifetime. People go from one church to another church to visit and they can't enter into anything because all they can do is look at all the wrong. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So I can go on to something else that I came to say today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse... 10. This is Paul at Corinth, the church with all the gifts, all the ministries, all the power, lacking in nothing. This is that church. Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by those which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, has there ever been a time in like in Shelbyville Christian Assembly that there have been contentions? Obviously not. <laughs> Contentious, argumentative combative, side-choosing, the things that lead to separation and division. Let me tell you something. Anytime with anything that God has brought together, his church, his body, and believers, anything that separates what God brings together, God hates it. Well, let me put it this way. Whatever God joins together, woe unto those who separate it. Paul said, I hear there are divisions among you, chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual men, but as unto carnal, fleshly, sensual, even as unto babes in Christ. All carnal, fleshly people are babes. There's nobody that's learned much. They're all babes. The fighters, the movers and shakers, the name callers, the rumor spreaders are all babes. Verse 2, I have fed you with milk 
and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are you now able. Why? For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Let me ask you a question. Give you something about what is wrong in a church, in a body of believers, wherever they are, home meeting or big whatever. What is wrong if within that body of believers, people have ill against each other? Is it not the work of the devil? And when you express your ill will about somebody else, and when you're mouthy about people, well, look at that one, we'll look at her and we'll look at him, look at... Are you not being prompted to do that by the devil? And do not your words have the effect of hurting and breaking hearts? How many children have been thrown into consternation by words? We've all heard of physical abuse. I don't know what's worse than verbal abuse. To tell a kid they're no good. You'll never be any better than you are. You're just a drag on us. Blah, 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 blah. Who do you think prompts a parent to talk to a kid like that? It's the devil. Well, why do you do it then? Because I feel like saying it. I know, but you're not supposed to. Well, I, maybe I'm not, but I, 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 yeah, 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 what? Who are you serving? What's wrong with us? How much are we going to hear in our life? How many more years will we have to meet before this sinks in as a necessity that we must obey Christ? How long will it be? How long? How long before it registers upon us? He said, whenever there's divisions and carnality and strife, it's evidence that you're babes. Let me show you something about babes and carnality. If you turn over to Hebrews 5 just for a brief moment, Hebrews chapter 5, you know that one. Verse 12, listen at these words. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, this is to the church, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Well, he spoke of that in 1 Corinthians 3. For everyone that uses milk is what? What does it say? Unskillful? For everyone that useth milk is a milky person. A person who says, for example, I have been taught for 30 years and I've been taught enough. You're milky. You got to like that. That's murky and milky. But he said, he that does that, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. I looked up the word unskillful, and one dictionary said it's ignorant of the scriptures. Wait a minute. They've been here every Sunday for 20 years. That doesn't mean they've learned anything. There's a lot of people that are ever learning. Isn't that right? And never come to the knowledge of the truth. You can't teach on anything very difficult because they just, they just can't grasp. They just, 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 just. And so you have to stay down here at level one all the time. Most preachers know this, and so they do. They feed them milk every week, and they're happy with that because there's no challenge and there's no convictions. Conscience doesn't bother you. Go home, and you're all right. But when you start getting into meat, like we've got to come to that. 
Meat is challenging you. You got to chew on this. You got to challenge yourself. Do you want this? You want to live this way? Whoa. But he says, everyone that uses only milk is unskillful, for he's a babe. He goes on to say that in verse 12. He's a babe. So babes, you say, are unskillful. Take marriages falling apart. Did you know that one out of every two marriages between Christians ends up in divorce? Half of them. Can you imagine? I've done a lot standing before a young couple, pronouncing blessings, reading vows, looking at the glow in their faces. I mean, this is a thing. And yet, and yet, for some, somewhere down the road, it just begins to get different. Maybe he's a brat. He grew up as a brat, so he's not very sensitive to her needs. He's not very good with compliments. He's not very good with seeing his wife like Christ sees the church and her need to be edified by him. Oh, he went to church. He heard that stuff, but, you know, that's not me. Or maybe she was a brat. Maybe she got everything she wanted, and if she didn't, she just threw a little fit. They hadn't been married long until there was a difficulty. So far as I know, every couple that has ever been married will eventually face a skirmish, a difficulty. Something that causes whatever hasn't been put on the cross yet to come out of you. And she says something that's a little bit out of whack. And being a man, he responds with a little more out of whack. Then you get into name calling. A woman can destroy a man with words. and He can destroy her with words. All you have to do is question her femininity or, or his manliness. To make you feel like you ain't much. You ain't much. I don't think you ever were. And those are deep wounds. But the Bible says words go down deep. They are like wounds. And so the next thing you know, they lose respect. He no longer honors her. She no longer honors him. And it gets combative. You become a little militant about some things. Let me ask you a question. How much of that is inspired by the Almighty God? How much of it? I'm familiar with divorce. I grew up in a divorce home. I've seen divorce. I've seen what it does to people. I've seen what it does to people's future. I've seen the hardship that it brings. All because a so-called Christian or two so-called Christians are unwilling to acknowledge God and his way in their marriage like they vowed they would. How in the world can God bless that ever? You become bitter. You become resentful. You become hateful. She took me for everything, and I'll guarantee you one thing. She won't. I'll get, you know, I, can, I got ways. I can deal with. Have you ever been to church in your life? Have you ever read the Bible on your own? 
Do you realize that a root of bitterness never comes from God? It is the work of the devil because he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And every time I participate in this stuff that goes with a bad marriage or marriage going bad, every time that I participate in that, I'm giving place to the devil. I am being ruled by him because when I respond demonically, the devil is ruling. And the man, when he sees his once lovely wife, which he's lost all his affection for, when he sees her, he just kind of goes, yeah. When she sees him, yeah. She tells her friends, oh, he's, you know, yeah. And how many times does an aggravated woman in a marriage gather unto herself aggravated women as friends? And aggravated women, or men, either way, it goes both ways. The aggravated mate gathers to him or herself others that have been in such marriages, and they feed them. I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't, if she'd go out there, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd blah, 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 blah. Holy, holy. They may go to church. They may even be preachers that talk like that. She may go to church and give testimonies and sing songs. Great. She may do all of that and yet be as vile as a serpent because in her heart is a desire to harm or his. His desire, well, you know, I can take care of you. She said, you're just lazy. You won't pay the bills. He said, you're spoiled like a brat and nobody, not even God, can get along with you. How many of you know none of this conversation is of God? Why do people do it? Why do Christians get married and then fall out like that? Why? You tell me why. They do because they give place to the devil. That's what you do. There is not a marriage problem that exists that cannot be fixed. Not one. All it takes is for two people, miserable and wretched, to turn to God and say, I will do it your way. And you turn to a person that has offended you and harmed you and done you wrong. And you're everything inside of you. Ah! And you crucify your flesh with its affections and its lust. And you open your mouth as much as lieth in you as possible and speak good. Isn't there still something in the Bible that a soft answer turns away wrath? And why don't we do it? Why is it so hard to have a soft answer? Is it because we feel like we're weak? We feel like we're caving in? We feel like our friends are going to talk against us if we start catering to our wife to save our marriage or our home? I've heard yelling in a house. I've heard people referred to in less than glorious terms. I've seen black eyes. I've seen the sheriff come to my house to haul my daddy away. I was there. I've seen what the devil can do and how he can come not only into a young life, but into your mindset. And to grow up as a young man confused about how you treat women. So you're supposed to fight like, that's all I've ever seen. Is this the way you do it? And this gets logged in in your hard drive. And you come to the Lord and you start seeing it God's way. And you think, how can this be? How can this be? Ten years later, it can be. But I realize that everything in me is against it. By nature, I want to fight. 
I want to call you a name. I want to hurt you, harm you, or spit on you, or say something to you. Or go to court. Somebody's going to sue you and take you to court. And you're going to what? What are you going to do? Let me read you something. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7, he said, Now if there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another, why do you not rather take wrong? In America? I better read that again because there's more than that. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Or deprived of your property. Done wrong. Why don't you let that happen instead of going to court? So the heathens in the court can laugh at these Christians hollering at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got all the answers to life, don't they? Look at them. They can no more get along with each other than people in the world. They're as bent on suing and getting something for nothing as we are. Let me read it for you from another translation. Indeed, to say nothing more, the fact that you have lawsuits with one another is altogether a defect in you. Why not rather suffer injustice? Why not rather endure being cheated? Oh, who would do that? It's in your Bible. Here's another translation. To begin with, it is undoubtedly a loss to you to have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather let yourselves be wronged? Why not rather let yourself be cheated? Let me ask you a question. Is the Sermon on the Mount too hard? Are we ready for all of this, Christianity? Have we mistaken Christianity as a fun place where nice people go and we just try hard to do nice things? Is this what our attitude of Christianity is? God has a much deeper picture of it. Would you turn to the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just look at each chapter. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. As we come and begin closing. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. This is Jesus teaching. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn unto him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Wow, who would do that? And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Now you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now stop. Listen to this. You do all of those things that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven. Whose right ways we're compelled to seek. Verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. And if, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so. 
Verse 48, be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Are you really willing to go this far in your life? You sitting here this morning, wherever you're from, whoever you are, those out in the world out there, are you really willing to go this far? Are you willing to extend your will unto God to this degree? That no matter what comes into your life, instead of responding to it in the natural way, you will respond to it in a righteous way. Not many do. And I mean that. Not many do. Or perhaps it's like Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked. Remember that in Jeremiah 17? The heart. The core of a man. Out of which Proverbs 4 says the issues of life flow. Words, actions, and deeds, they come out of your heart. Jeremiah said, a man's heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. The only hope for that is for a man to get a new heart from God. Because if he doesn't, there's no hope. And if he does say he has a new heart, the only way we can tell that you've got a new heart is by how you live. Not what you say, but it's what you do. It's by what you do. Remember this verse? For they profess to know God with their words, but they deny him being abominable and disobedient and to every good work reprobate. That's Titus 1.16. They say they know him. We use the right words. I mean, we're Christians. We go to all the Christian meetings. We learn what we're supposed to say. You learn how to give testimonies in a certain way. I mean, we've learned that. That's part of the routine. Yet, he said, in works, by what we do, how we talk to each other, the decisions that we make and the way we're acting, we deny the Lord because he's not in it. He's not in it. That mouthy tirade, that name-calling, that yelling and screaming and threats, he's not in that. I don't care where any of you folks go to church or who you sit under. If you do that, you're denying the Lord. That's the truth. Listen, this translation of Titus 1.16 they profess to know God, but by their actions, they disown him. They are degraded and self-willed. And as far as anything good is concerned, they are utterly worthless. Is it possible, is it possible, brothers and sisters, that there will be those who labored in the church, servants to the church and all of that, who will hear the Lord say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Could that be possible? Could it be possible that he would say to them, I never knew you. You denied me. You said the right thing. With your lips, you honored me, as Isaiah said. You honored me with your lips, but your heart's not in it. In closing, Romans 1. This is our last verse. Romans chapter 1. And verse 28, it has bothered me for years that we have allowed ourselves to do a lot of things that we do 
in denial of what we have learned. It doesn't put us on our face. It doesn't seem to convict us. It doesn't seem to bother us. And yet we cannot deny that when we read scriptures or we hear certain things, our conscience is pricked. And we're bothered and troubled because we ask ourselves, why do I allow myself to act like this? Why does the Bible say, thou shalt not, don't do this and don't do that, and I go and do it anyway? I do it anyway, and when I get done, the devil has made an absolute fool of me over here because I have no testimony now, and he is ruining my life. It didn't have to be like that. I want to slam this pulpit, but I won't. Why do we allow it? Why is it such a struggle for us to do things God's way, to yield ourselves unto the Lord? To let him have his way. To respond to ugly, bad, sinful, nasty people with just a quiet humility. Somebody's going to. Somebody is going to hear Jesus say, well done. Well done. Somebody will, and I want it to be us. But Romans 1 and verse 28 I'm reading this from a different translation because it adds a couple things, but listen to this. You read Romans 1, 28. And because they had not the mind to keep God in their knowledge, listen to this, God gave them up to an evil, reprobate, or condemned mind to do those things which are not right. Let me ask you a question. If a person doesn't want to do it God's way, but wants to do it his way, what can God do? Not convict you anymore. Gives you over. You have attitudes. You have an independence about you that you don't need. Where do you think it came from? You don't do something about it. Did you know that God can give you up to that? And you'll never change. You'll be like that when you die. All I'm saying is this morning is that We must bear up and overcome. And all these ugly things that come into our lives are opportunities to overcome. To not be controlled by this thing, but to control it. To know that you put your hands on a plow that is not made to stumble and fall. It will go through anything in front of you. God will lead you right through them. He'll put you to the test. We're all going to be tested to see if we really believe these things we're hearing. And when we don't do the right things, we should, it should convict us. We should get on our face and repent. Because I'll tell you what, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he specifically said that Jesus is looking for the faithful. When he comes, remember that Shelley find faith? Well, faith means to be faithful. When Jesus comes, he looks in Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Will he find faithful people that he will say, come, join me in eternity? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word will find its lodging in our hearts, that we will not allow ourselves to be controlled by any spirit or any person that we will submit ourselves unto the Lord. 
and yield ourselves to his right ways. Your Bible is clear, dear God. It's very clear in what you say. We understand it. It's not hard. There's a simplicity about it that makes us all guilty or with a, all can be approved by it. It's clear. Now, I pray that you would walk into our minds and down the hallways of our mind and open all the doors. Leave nothing unturned, no door unopened. And while we're young, while we're old, while we're here, that the Spirit of God might have his way in convicting us and turning us more to Christ. Forgive us for the cheap way that we often live and the easy way we take out. Make us to be strong and full of good courage. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite all of you here today that have been born again to join with us in the communion of the bread and the cup, to spend your time now reflecting on what Jesus did as well as why he did it. Amen. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal day. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy Flowed a vast and gracious tide Grace and love like mighty rivers Poured incessant from above And heaven's peace and perfect justice Kissed a guilty world in love Let me all thy love accepting Love thee ever all my days Let me seek thy kingdom only And my life be to thy praise Thou alone shall be my glory Nothing in the world I see Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me, Thou Thyself hast set me free.
In thy truth thou dost direct me by thy spirit through thy word and thy grace my need is meeting as I trust in thee my Lord of thy fullness thou art pouring thy great love and power on me without measure full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee 